Well, as we read these verses this morning, I admit that my mind wandered a little bit. And not because of the length, um, but because of the content. Now, I'm not proud to admit this, but my mind immediately went back to those talk shows from the 90s and 2000s. See, most of those started as an interactive show, something uh, uh, would, would be uh, controversial, and, and the host would ask questions of the guest, and then the guest or the, the audience would ask questions as well. But over time, any seriousness that was present disappeared, and those talk shows became less interested in information and dialogue and more interested in showing the worst of humanity. You remember when Geraldo Rivera had a bunch of white supremacists on stage and a riot broke out. Remember he had the blood all over, broke his nose because someone threw a chair at his face. Over time, these talk shows became more and more debaucherous. Other shows promoted sinful lifestyles and strange obsessions. Infidelity, promiscuity were the norm. Strange and deviant lifestyles also played a prominent role on these shows. And it seems that the more salacious a program was, the bigger their audience grew. After all, who gets tired of finding out who the father really is? One show came to mind as I was reading through this and, and working through this passage in the show, and I, I hate to admit this, but it was Jerry Springer. This passage in Scripture sounds even crazier than what we saw, or hopefully didn't see, on these TV shows. Now that Jerry Springer show stayed on the air for 27 years. And so you have to wonder, what was the appeal? People watch the show because of depravity. The guests on the show were proud of their sin, and the people who watched it were happy to enjoy watching these people in their sin. And families were destroyed because of the selfishness and recklessness of individuals. Marriages were broken. And while they didn't show on the TV show the effect that it had on the kids, it's not hard to figure that out. And as we're reading through this passage of Scripture, my mind kept going to that. What happens here is awful, isn't it? We're going to dive into this a little bit more, uh, uh, but, but what we see here is exactly, actually probably worse than what we would see on those trashy TV shows. Thankfully, I, by God's grace, I don't remember much of those shows except one instance where it wasn't perversion, but it was mental issues where a guy who dressed up as a woman cut his legs off because he said he just didn't feel like he needed them. He said this, quote, I didn't want to get rid of them. My brain just kept saying, get rid of them, so I had to get rid of them. So he took us all and got rid of his legs. Years has passed since I've seen any of these television shows, but I remember how uncomfortable every single episode made me. Any person with any understanding of depravity or with a heart that breaks for lost people sees these stories and we're burdened by it. It's easy to moan about how the world is going to hell, and it sure seems like it when we see these horrific things happening. Even in Scripture, we're seeing these things happen. And it's easy to say that the world is worse than it's ever been. I'd argue that it's been the same. We're just seeing it more. We can't avoid it. Yeah, the world is bad, but it's been bad ever since Adam and Eve decided that they were the kings of their own lives. And here's where I'm going with this this morning. I'm focusing on this passage that shows us that the world has not changed very much. 
Thousands of years have passed, and the sin that we see in Scripture is the same that we see when we turn on our television, look at our phone, or go out our front door. This passage sounds like a talk show, doesn't it? Now, as we dive into the text this morning, we'll see how sin doesn't just affect us. It infects our entire families. We'll see that sin often creates more sin until everything is out of control. This shouldn't be news to any of us, should it? Though we paused our study in Genesis uh, about six months ago, you may remember that we've already seen some pretty bad stuff. We, we've had 30 sermons, uh, over 30 sermons through the book of Genesis, and we've seen how bad people can really be. Even those who've been chosen for God's specific purposes. And a passage like this can make us uncomfortable. This is not Bible reading at bedtime with your five-year-old. It's uncomfortable. And it's even more so uncomfortable when all of our lives we've been taught about the heroes of the faith. So we put Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob way up here. When all that we know about Jacob is that he was a man of God's choosing and he did wonderful things, we miss out on his humanity. We miss out on this. We've seen that Abraham did some terrible things. He failed to trust the promises of God that led to the sexual abuse of Hagar. And as we progress through Scripture, we'll see people like Moses and David who were chosen by God to accomplish wonderful things, and yet they still fell into some gross sin. And this is what's happening in our text today. It's one of those parts of Scripture that we may gloss over or avoid altogether because it's so uncomfortable. Be honest, most of us don't want to talk about multiple wives, abuse, bad marriages. It's just easier to skip over those. We don't enjoy reading the Bible and seeing these things that look like a talk show from a dysfunctional family. But here we are. So what I'm going to do is walk through the text a little bit. It's a narrative, so it's longer. It tells a story. It doesn't require a verse-by-verse -verse explanation as a passage in the New Testament would, but we'll look at what's happening then, and in the conclusion, I'm, I'm going to give you some applications that I think everyone in this room can take home with you. But before we do that, we, it's important to know that Moses, who wrote this, may have not put things in perfectly chronological order. The way that Moses may have put these things together is not so that it shows you a step-by-step -step of what happened in the order, but rather the bigger picture of what was going on here. Telling a story, telling a story, not pushing it forward. The point being made is it's much more important, important to know what happened rather than the order of how it happened. So looking at this, at this point in the story, Jacob is right now outside of the land of promise. He's worked seven years to get his dream girl. And finally the night comes, the, the wedding comes, and he does the, the deed, and then after that, he wakes up and he looks and sees, you're not Rachel. He knows that he's been tricked. He knows that he's done something that, that, that he can't go back on. He wanted Rachel. He got Leah instead. And so now he's married to two sisters, and he only wants one of them. God had pro provided for Jacob his entire life, but as we saw with Abraham, having God's love and protection doesn't give us a life of ease. It certainly doesn't mean that we stop sinning. We know that from our own self. 
God is at work with Jacob, like everyone before him, and he makes some terrible decisions that brings calamity and chaos to his life and life of others. This is where we're at. This is what's led us to this point. We, we've seen the problems that have been caused by every single person in this line so far. We see this pattern that emerges. This thing that ties everything together. This, this destruction that, that runs through these families like a tornado. But I hope to show you that God still cares for his people. Even when we take our eyes off of him. Even when we do things that destroy the lives of others and ruin our own. That God is still faithful. And we see this in this passage. And you'll see this hopefully jump out at you. Well, getting into this, the first thing that we see is the story of Jacob and Leah's four sons. It says that God saw that Leah was unloved. She's married to a man that never wanted her. He doesn't give her the love and attention that she needs. Now, this just isn't found in ancient scripture. This is a story where real people got hurt. Maybe your story's like this. Maybe you felt the sting of being rejected or, or being abandoned. Plenty of, of people feel this way, that, that you've been given up on. Maybe you've tried to do everything you possibly can to save your marriage, including having children. Uh, that happens. A husband doesn't love his wife, and the wife believes that maybe if we had children, that they will be the tie that binds us together. And then you only see things fall apart. See, Leah was a victim on all sides, and, and all that she wanted out of this was for Jacob to love her. But he had no interest in a relationship with her, but he still had children with her, meaning that he used her for one reason, for his pleasure. All she was good for to Jacob was making babies. In other words, she was only important when Jacob needed her. Jacob abused her, and he used her for his pleasure, and his family line. But Leah still had hope that Jacob would one day come around and love her. She had four sons, and, and each one has a story. The names are expressed in here. The first one was Reuben, which means see a son. Leah credits God for this blessing. There's a lot in the Bible in stories like this that we want more. We want more information, more backstory, more emotional stories on how these people felt. And so we, we don't see this outside of Scripture all that much, with, or inside of Scripture with Leah. But we know that she's a person who's hurt. We know that she wants her husband to love her and have a relationship with her. And she's hurt. How would you feel? Abandoned? Lost? Ignored? Probably one of the worst things that any of us can ever feel is that we're not wanted, that we're not needed. And this is what Leah felt like. Jacob made her feel like a baby factory, that that's all that she was good for. And she felt like, hey, we have a child now, maybe this will bring him to me, but still nothing. Then she has a second son, Simeon. His name means heard. This means that God has heard her cry. It's not a stretch to think that Leah kept hoping that maybe another child would, would draw Jacob closer to me. But she said she was unloved. Jacob didn't hear, but God heard. 
Her situation didn't get any better when she had Levi, whose name in Hebrew means joined. She hoped that this, the third son, would join them together. Leah gave birth to three boys for Jacob. This should impress him. At this point in history, three boys means you're almost guaranteed your line would keep going. It means that you have workers to work your fields. It means you have a a family history that will continue. He had a dutiful wife who sought approval and affection. But even with those three boys, even with a wife who desired her husband, still nothing. Then Leah gives birth to another son, Judah, which means praise. She was grateful for the gift of four sons. Then in verse 35, it says that she ceased bearing. Now, it could mean, the meaning underneath the surface, that relations stopped between Jacob and Leah. That Jacob finally hardened himself to her. That he didn't want anything to do with her anymore, so he cut those ties. Some women understand what Leah felt like. Maybe you've been in a marriage where you've done so much, including having children, but outside of a few instances of intimacy, you feel like everything is over. Maybe your kids help keep things together, but you always ache for something more. God hears you. God sees and knows what you're going through. He knows what you're experiencing. He has not turned his back on you He doesn't promise that your life will be easy or that your situation will be immediately fixed. But he does promise a peace that goes beyond any human understanding. God also promises that your loneliness, pain, and suffering will one day end. Everyone who trusts in Jesus for faith and for life will one day experience a creation the way that God created everything. Without death, without suffering, without loss without a hint of need or want, we'll have everything that we need. We'll be perfectly content and there will one day be no more loneliness or heartache. But That's not promised to us here and now. Anyone who believes this or says this doesn't understand the Bible or the history of the church. We suffer mightily and a life of comfort and ease is not part of our story. But Leah was abused. And in the meantime, we speak against abuse. We speak when people are mistreated. We defend victims and we advocate on their behalf. We we know that this life will be difficult, but we are called to care for the Leahs of this world. Why? Because even though Jacob saw her as a baby factory, that's not why she was created. Leah was created to be an image bearer, to resemble the work of God, to to be a proclaimer of the good news of God to the world. Jacob abused her. But not everyone sees things this way. Rachel, the the one that Jacob really loved, was desperate for children and demands from God that he give children to her. This went beyond asking. This, This was a demand. This was blasphemy. Saying that that God must do what she wants. Chapter 30 verse 1 says that Rachel saw. This is a a parallel to 2931 where it says that the Lord saw. Rachel saw what the Lord saw. That Leah was being abused. Excuse me, blessed. Now a few minutes ago I said that Leah may be, or you may be a Leah. 
in this story. You may, you may feel unwanted. You may feel unloved. You may feel like that the, the love of your life has abandoned you. You may, you. you may just feel this loneliness that's just you can't explain. But there are others here that may be Rachel. You've gotten what you thought was the ultimate prize. You, you think you've got everything lined up. Your life is, is ready and you know exactly what you want and you're going to get all these things. But then it doesn't happen. You look around and you see what you really want is something more. Leah wasn't rightly satisfied in her husband, but it, it seems that she saw her value in how he felt about her. Rachel, on the other hand, saw her value in what she could produce, children. Rachel felt like she wasn't a complete woman unless she was able to bear children. Leah felt like she wasn't a complete woman because her husband didn't want her. This is a mess. Sin after sin after sin creates mess after mess after mess. It's one thing, uh, a bad thing after another, and everyone seems to be doing the exact opposite of what God tells them to do. People keep looking at what someone else has in comparison and think, well, that should be me. And what do we often do? We figure out a way to get what we want. This is what Rachel does. Rachel comes up with a plan to get children through a surrogate. In verse 3, Rachel gives her servant to Jacob. Sound familiar? This is exactly what happened in Genesis 16 when Abraham and Sarah abused, raped Hagar for a child. Rachel's servant Bilhah had two children, Dan and Naphtali. Dan means judge and Naphtali means struggle. It's fitting, isn't it? And as, as if the story couldn't get more disastrous, Leah sees what is happening and took her servant Zilpah and uses her for another child with Jacob. We have all sorts of bad stuff going on in this passage. Now, I doubt that anybody back then would have thought this way. But when we understand what sexual abuse is and what rape actually is, this is it. These two servants had no way of saying no. Their livelihood, their lives literally were dependent on their obedience. They were not willing participants in this. Just like Hagar was not a willing participant. These are victims. And again, Jacob goes along with this horrific plan. So now you have Jacob sinning by not leading well. He's made terrible decisions. You have Leah who was abused, which leads to her making Jacob the most important thing in her life. Rachel is jealous, so she takes a servant and allows Jacob to rape her to conceive a child. And then Leah does the same thing. Then the strife, when you think it's going to be over, it gets even more messy. It talks about mandrakes. Mandrakes, if you Google image search them, um, the, the history of them is they look like people when you pull them out of the ground. Um, they resemble arms and legs, and the ancient history says that when you pull them out of the ground, they scream. I would love to see that um, or hear a seed scream. But mandrakes, more importantly, were used as an aphrodisiac, and they were thought to enhance the chances of conception. This is why they were so important to this Leah wanted intimacy, Rachel wanted children. Rachel wanted the mandrakes that Leah had, so she comes up with a bargain. Leah wanted Jacob, so 
even if it was just for one night, that's what she wanted. She keeps thinking, if I could only get him, I will convince him to love me. Do you see the sin in her own heart? She has elevated Jacob to an idol. Leah idolizes Jacob. Rachel idolizes children. So she comes up with this plot. Remember, she kept trying anything she could in an attempt to win Jacob's affection, so she gives Rachel the mandrakes and gets Jacob in return. And every turn of this story, Jacob is a willing participant. We don't see him saying much, but he, he certainly never objects to this. He is a failure in terms of leadership, and his unwillingness to do what is right is problematic. He makes his marriage into a form of prostitution. But this worked for Leah. She had another son. Rachel, like Esau, sold something special for a meal. And Esau, like Esau, she would quickly regret it. Rachel would probably prefer for Leah just to go away so that she could have Jacob all to herself. But Leah has another son and a daughter as well. Now remember, up to this point, Rachel hasn't been able to get pregnant. She is the chosen wife. She is the one that Jacob wants more than anything else. Leah has seven children. She's got none. The servants have had children with Jacob, but Rachel, Jacob's chosen wife, no success. Now you would think, you would think that God would turn away from them. My goodness. Time after time after time of them rejecting what God says, doing their own thing, going their own way, turning from God. Immoral stuff happening here. Abuse happening here. And you would think, if we were in the position of the, the sovereign creator, you and I certainly would turn our backs on them. We would be done. Wipe them out, start over. That's not what God does. God had a different outcome in mind. Look at verses 22 through 24. After all of what we've seen, God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Rachel cries out to God, and he hears her prayers. Even though Rachel used prayer as the last option, God still hears it and responds. Now, it took years, but she finally became pregnant. And as we've seen in our own lives and in Scripture so far, God is always faithful even when we're not. Maybe even say God is faithful especially when we're not. Now, there are so many conclusions to get to this. This, this can go in a million different directions, but four things for me, really stand out. First, God hears and sees what you need, even what you want. God hears your cries. He sees the brokenhearted and the hurting. He sees the victims of injustice. He has compassion on the abused. Now, this should comfort you, but it may not. God promises that justice will come and that your suffering will go away one day. He promises that those who hurt others will face judgment. But that doesn't mean that it will come on our schedule. We see something bad happen, we want justice immediately. 
and we get frustrated when we don't. We, we, we cry out when the courts delay justice. Delayed justice is often no justice at all. And so our, everything inside of us cries out for, for justice and for justice. We want to see the good guy or the bad guy get punished and the good guy be protected. It's what we crave. It's what our heart screams for. When you're hurt, you don't want to hear that it will be fixed later. You want things to be dealt with now. From our perspective, this is the right thing to do. When we see a crime committed, that it should be dealt with relatively quickly. We don't want to see this delayed. But we always need to remember that God isn't bound by our calendar. God's wisdom is infinite and without any boundaries. So we could even say that because God has promised that something will happen, it's as good as if it already happened. God promises justice, justice has come. What this means is that if you've been victimized, eternal justice is guaranteed. Second, you are not defined by anything other than you are created by God. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have been recreated into his likeness. We are so pressured by the world and by our own selves to find our worth in everything but God. For many people, what you do for a living is what defines your value. For others, it's who you're married to or the kids that you have or or what you're good at or or, or the gifts that God has given. That's what defines you. Uh, Still others determine uh, their value by what they're promising to do. Now, this has been life-changing for me, though I admit I'm not very good at it. I, I struggle with criticism. I've got thin skin. I'm not very good at this. I struggle with unmet expectations. Why? Because I still haven't figured out in my heart that my value is not in what I do. My value is is not in my position or my title or my job. None of that really matters in terms of my value. My value is in the fact that I'm a child of God. I struggle because I value often what I do. Church struggles, I feel like my value is lower. Church does well, my value is higher. Isn't that what's happening here in this passage? Leah saw her worth in being able to win over a man. Rachel saw her worth in being able to have children. I sometimes see my worth in my ability to be a pastor. Obviously, you would have a different set of struggles, but they all have the same root. Maybe you think you have value because of your job. Maybe uh, you, you are so good at what you do that you sink yourself into that, and when things don't go well, you find yourself in despair. Maybe your worth, is, your worth is in a family. It's your children that drive you, and everything that you do is based on what's good for your kids. Take that away from you, and you feel like you have nothing. Whatever it may be, this completely forgets that our value is not in what we do or what we can produce or who we are married to or what our children do. Our value is that we are children of God. That's our worth. It seems like people who have forgotten this are the ones that keep making colossal mistakes like we see in this passage. Third, God's forgiveness of sin does not remove the consequences of bad behavior. Growing up, I would hear preachers talk about how God rescued them from this addiction or that addiction or or this lifestyle or that lifestyle. And 
to me, I don't think they meant this, but to me it, it came across as if, well, come to know Jesus and all those bad things go away. We know that's not true. We know that even though we're forgiven and saved and promised an eternity with Christ, we still struggle and still battle with our own sin. We, we know this to be true. We fight it. We, we battle it. We often have consequences for our bad behavior. Simply being a Christian doesn't rid ourselves of the consequences. Your choices have consequences that may last for the rest of your life. You commit murder, expect to spend the rest of your life in prison. You leave your spouse, expect your children to never trust you again. You steal from your employer, expect to not have a job after that. Ultimate forgiveness does not mean that we are free from the consequences of what we do. Finally, Remember that God's promises endure through the craziest times. Every key person in this passage tried their best to ruin their lives and to ruin lives around them. What we've been studying today is crazier than any talk show, than anything that we could ever come up with. So the big question is, why did God allow this to happen? Because we, we wonder this in our own lives. When we, when we face tragedy, when we face difficulties, and the, the first question that we often ask is, God, why? What is, the, what is the meaning in this? What am I supposed to learn? Why am I suffering so much? Why? Now think about the big picture here. God provided children through these bad people so that his story would progress. These people all play a part in God's story. See, if you read the Bible as most people do, and I hope you don't, but if you do, the Bible is merely a book of stories. There's names, there's characters, there's events. Uh, these are stories filled with moral tales. If you read the Bible that way, you're going to be disappointed when you come to a passage like this. Because you see, these people were not moral. They were not good people. They were sinful wretches they were messed up people who hurt others and used others and that may even lead people to give up on the faith because they're not taught this from the beginning they read through something like this as an adult and they say i can't believe this bible anymore because of what i'm seeing here that's because they missed the overarching point of the entire bible God's faithfulness not ours brought Jesus to us and gave us forgiveness of sin and life free from eternal guilt. See, when you see the Bible through that lens, when you see the, the Bible as not a story of superheroes or super Christians or, or people that always obey God, when you see the Bible as a story of people just like you and me, and be honest, if it weren't for the grace of God, we would just be doing the same things they're doing. If it weren't for the grace of God, we would be just the same situation as Jacob and Leah and Rachel. Without the restraints of the Spirit, we would be abusive. We would use people. We would hurt people. We would run over people to get what we want. We would be selfish and idolatrous. We know this. We know this because we know our own hearts. And when we see the Bible through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of Jesus, we have no hero but Christ. And the sins of these people are not surprising. They're shocking, yes. Surprising, no. 
When the gospel is central, these stories don't wreck our faith. They make us stand in awe at how a holy God would ever save any of us. And this is the beauty of the gospel, that these people had a role to play. That God would take the worst of the worst and God would even record it in scripture so that thousands of years later we could sit here and read it and be disturbed together. But at the same time, look at the cross and say how amazing it is that these people still had a role to play. God can save even the worst. He saved me and he saved you. 